Game of Thrones Season 6, Episode 10. The Winds of Winter is over, but we're just getting started here talking about it on the Game of Thrones Book Club on Post Show Recaps, the final Game of Thrones Book Club of the proper Season 6. Can you believe it? This is actually happening, as Tyrion Lannister said. Terry, this is real. This is real. This is the first episode where I actually felt like I saw the end of the show beginning to yeah oh my god which is crazy (laughs) the end is nigh the end is nigh and like we had cracked jokes about before game of thrones the tv show even gave us the winds of winter before (laughs) george r r uh, R. martin did yeah well and not only that i mean listen i don't want to get you know uh wildfired by any book uh you know enthusiasts like super book loyalists but george r R. martin's got his work cut out for him to be like the best winds of winter on the board i think you, yeah, you know, okay, so before we get high deep bar, in, obviously, it's a high bar, it's a high bar, um, and obvious spoiler warning, uh, but, but before we dive deep into any of that stuff, he, David and Dan, the showrunners did this interview and they were talking about going off book for the first time and what that meant. And they basically, basically said they had a couple things to work on. They knew the Hodor thing. And they knew, obviously, Sam's journey in Old Town, but they made it sound like they just sort of were done making baby steps and were really making big steps on their own. And I wonder how much of this stuff is stuff they just made up for the show. Just that like has complete, no bearing. complete fanfic, like the most high-budget yeah. fanfic of all time. Yeah, I, I'm very curious reading that from them because I assumed it would hew pretty close, but I wonder just how different the winter winter the book is going to be from what we saw no i think you know we talk about this a lot i think that the i think that the two stories i think the books and the show i think are going to end similarly in terms of tone in terms of feeling i think certain characters are going to be in the same spaces both in the book and the show i think that getting there obviously is going to be vastly vastly different as we've already seen on the show based on where a bunch of these characters are in the books so i think yeah i think major events could play out totally totally differently i'm good with that that means when we do get the winds of winter should be a pretty different experience i'm totally yeah with that uh but let's talk about the show for now we'll talk about it from the book reading perspective here we go just giving you the obligatory warning this is the game of thrones book club this is where we talk about episodes of game of thrones from the perspective of people who have read the books everything that george rr R. martin has written about in a song of ice and fire and related novels like the duncan egg prequels and essays and short stories and things like that all of that is fair game let's dive into it this really was a wildfire episode terry schwartz this is a this is a nutso episode confirmed a lot of theories or at least one massive theory that people have had for years and years and years and years and we'll and years talk years about years. how that really got performed or really got confirmed later in this episode when we tackle that because i think that that is funny and a bit disappointing so we'll get to that later <laughs> it's a little bit of a meta confirmation on r plus l equals j a couple of days after the fact but at least heavily insinuated on the show but, yes but we have you know the the big mystery of john's parentage that is solved how cersei is going to get out of her situation in king's landing that's resolved as well we'll talk about how much that's going to stick to what we might see in the books um a scene from that sequence which is a very cool riff i thought on the final uh chapter the epilogue of a dance of dragons everything that was going on with picel there that was really great and daenerys is coming to westeros and that's really neat that's fine that's a big deal it's a big deal it's huge it's a big deal and frey pies i know that you're really gonna want oh my god I yelled. I screamed. 
the second that she set the 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 pie down, I screamed, "Holy effing s!" Which is my bleeped out version. I yes. I said it, and and I was actually watching with all my IGN coworkers. We we came in and we watched it Sunday night in the office, so we could record our podcast uh, right after that and and get some posts up and watch it with people. Um, and and I did that before any of them had any idea how that was going to play out. But they all know I'd been I'd explained fray pies to them so much. I explained Manderly. I made them watch the Clegane Bowl video over and over and get over and over. They're hyped. so, yeah, they're, he's over on a thousand. Um, <laughs> like they're so sick of me being such a fangirl about some of these things. So one of them actually got annoyed with me because he was like, you spoil your reaction made me realize that's what they were doing before they actually revealed that's what they were doing. And I was like, okay, but you have to forgive me because they did fray by. Listen, listen, Terry Schwartz, uh, we have accused you of many things. Nobody has ever <laughs> accused you of having a chill. Terry Schwartz has no chill. Zero chill. Zero, Zero chill. chill. Zero chill. This is a thing that is known about Terry. So we'll talk about all of that. We'll get into every single thing that happened. But I think, you know, just speaking about that reaction to the Frey Pie thing, like, it's great that there are still moments like that out there that people who have read the books can be like, ah, I know what's going to happen now. (laughs) It's just, it's great when you do have those moments. And the Frey Pie one was really great. And it's like, even like smaller stuff, like, ah, that's Wyman Manderly. I mean, he's not as cool as he is in the books, but he's here. I thought they were going to give him a speech, and I was a bit bummed. They didn't, nah, they, they didn't give they him gave, or Liana. Yeah, they gave him a speech. But, I mean, listen, when you have uh, Liana Mormont being as awesome as she is, give her all the speeches, I say. Right. That's, I guess that's yeah, that's true. That's the situation where, like, just, like, work with what's working right now. Right. Um, and we did get great Liana Mormont. We did. Which, oh. And Liana Stark, two great Lianas in this episode. Yes. So we're talking about the winds of winter. Let's talk about the winds of winter. Where do you want to start? I mean, there's so many different major stories. I really want to try and stay focused on storylines. Let's run through a storyline as fully as we can before we move on to the next one. Where do you want to begin, Terry? Where's your interest? I want to begin at the beginning because I think the first 30 minutes of this episode were some of the best executed drama the show has ever done. And, And Miguel, once again, one of the best directors the show has ever had. I couldn't look away. And I I don't know about you, but about 15 minutes in, I knew exactly what was going to happen and spent the next 15 minutes just filled with dread, which I think is of the inevitability of it, hoping against all hope that that wasn't going to happen. And I think that was just masterful. What about you? I mean, I'm no mathematician and not to call you out, Terry. Was it 30 minutes? It felt long. It was. I know it was 30 minutes because... The pizza arrived right after, <laughs> okay. and we pressed pause, and it was the 30-minute mark. Pizza clock. All right. You can't yeah. you can't deny the pizza clock. The pizza clock must be right. Anyway, it yeah. was long. It was tense, and it was really drawn out. I don't know when it was that I felt the shift that, okay, wildfire is definitely happening. Um, but we had been talking about it so much here on the podcast, uh, among friends I've been talking about it with, a lot of people. I think that this has really been in the air, that it feels like this is something that Cersei's probably gearing up for. The show had really been setting the stage for it. Um, and I, I think that it's probably around the point where the mountain appears in Tommen's room. We're like, okay, yeah. All right, so this is going to be wildfire, and this is going to happen. But I didn't know that everyone was going to actually explode. I thought that yeah, maybe, I thought Marjorie would Marjorie, get out. Yeah, I thought maybe Marjorie was going to pull it out. I thought that maybe she was going to convince the High Sparrow to listen to her. But it was so High Sparrow not to listen to her. Oh um, yeah, I it, loved that. It was great. Uh, you know, him just like getting like nuked in like Nickelodeon green gack wildfire was just 
phenomenal stuff. So, yeah, no, this was a terrific, terrific sequence. Beautifully scored, really um, fantastically paced, excellently edited, you know, cross-cutting and checking in with so many different storylines at such a rapid pace. That was kind of unlike anything I can really think of that Game of Thrones has done. It just felt totally differently paced and so unique that it's one of those sequences that you're going to remember forever. I mean, a lot of people, I think, are walking away from the Winds of Winter declaring this G-O-A-T, best episode ever. Um, I still, I think it's really, really, really good, and I can see that argument, but I definitely think this sequence alone deserves mention in any sort of, like, top ten list that you come up with of just, like, the best single scenes of Game of Thrones. I agree. And and it works because it was so long. And like, what was crazy is you have this explosive climax, literally, and you're like, oh my God. But then the Tommen scene is the gut punch. Yeah, that's brutal. And, and it's funny because I don't know if you saw this, but there was a leak and I saw it on Reddit and I saw people posting it in my comments that there was, you know, this, this leak that Tommen falls out of a tower and that people thought he committed suicide. So I saw that and I saw that scene at the end. I was like, that's what's going to happen. And, but no, and I kept my mouth shut when I, when I had that realization, I honestly wish I hadn't been spoiled because that was the scene that caused some of my coworkers to gasp out and just be like truly shocked by it. And again, what amazing, uh, framing for the, the decision to shoot that in the way it did and just hear his footsteps picking up off screen and like no pause, no second thought, just going like that, that is, it's a bit traumatizing. Like there are a lot of really hard scenes to watch on game of Thrones, but even thinking about that just breaks my heart because Tommen was young and weak and not a good King, but also a good person. And one of the last good people on this show, I think props to Dean Charles Chapman who gave like great scared little boy face throughout the episode. Uh, You know, like the whole sequence where he is getting dressed and everybody's getting dressed. There's this one lingering shot on Tommen's face where he just kind of like suddenly looks up like he's looking into a mirror and he just looks like the saddest little boy on the planet. And it's just, and if you, I mean, I've, I've gotten to interview him a couple of times. He is not that kid at all. He's like, no. this, like you know, street tough UK kid who's just like, he's got a great accent. He's really funny. He does not come off like Tommen at all. Uh, I thought that that was really good stuff. And yet just like, there's no hesitation in the leap. He's just yeah. crowns off, walks away. I don't know what he does at the back of the room, maybe just like psyching himself up. But then he just like walks up to the ledge and there is not even a moment on the ledge before he's just like, yup. By the time you realize what's happening, it's happened. And I think that's the best part of it. Um, And it makes me almost sad that it's been turned into a bit of a meme since then, um, because I think it was just so dramatically well executed. Uh, Pun not intended. Uh, Uh, I, that, those are the parts of this episode that still stand out. I mean, this is the episode where we found out that Liana was John's mom, but those are the scenes that stand out to me as just being really powerful and really moving. And, and what I think validate an argument that this is the best episode ever, because I, I really like Battle of the Bastards. Um, I think that might 
edge this out a little bit for me. And I think Reigns of Castamere is up there, but this is definitely top three for me yeah, as it stands now. That's what I have as my top three as well. I have wins slightly above uh, Bastards right now. It could change. Hard Home could get back in there, but that's my top four right now. Right, um, yeah. But I think I think you're right. This is something that we said on the feedback show with Rob Sesternino and I earlier this week. It's like Jon Snow is revealed to be a secret Targaryen in this episode, and that's like the third coolest thing that happened. Yeah. Uh, if that, you know, like just a lot of really great moments in this episode. All right, so now that we've kind of run down that sequence, let's talk about um, how it might measure up to where we're going in the books in terms of how many, are, are all of these people screwed? I mean, we know that Kevin Lannister is dead in the books already. He dies in yeah. a different way. He would have died in this, um, you know, this remixed Kyburn scene, which is from the Dance with Dragons epilogue. Pycelle is given the real focus here. He's also killed in this scene in the epilogue by Varys and the children. So those guys are already taken out. So first off, did you like that riff? Did you think that this was a good use of that? I mean, I felt like that epilogue and that scene, it's so evocative of the children closing in on Kevin Lannister and the horror he finds in Maester Pycelle's chamber that you couldn't not do some version of that. And it felt like they were building up a rivalry between Kyburn and Pycelle through their Oh, they definitely were. And I wonder if that was a Cersei decision or if it was a a Kyburn revenge decision. Felt like a Kyburn call to me. I I agree, but I, you know, I was talking with other people and they felt like it was more a Cersei thing because he's like, you know, I didn't want it to come to this, and I was like, I don't take him at face value. It, honestly, this is going to make me sound like a bad book club uh, member, but I didn't connect that as being pretty much the same scene as the Var- Varys Kevin Lannister one until you said that. I thought it worked really well on its own. I think you know there are a couple key scenes in this episode that were remixed versions of other ones uh, i i really liked this part of it but honestly one of my other favorite scenes and and you're talking about if we think things are going to land in the books the same way i think we're definitely getting mad queen cersei on the iron throne and and the setup of uh jamie being the valonqar who is going to have to put her down the same way he put the mad king down oh yeah yeah well let's talk about that in a second let's talk about all the people who died in the wildfire explosion marjorie is this how she's dying in the books do you think do you, do you uh, think that the wildfire explosion is happening in the books, or do you think that this is just a show invention? That's hard. I mean, I could see it happening. It, it feels so fitting as to be a George invention. Like, the things that were great about this felt like they would have come from George. Um, and I, I do love the poetic justice of the High Sparrow standing firm to, to his beliefs and his drive for power that he sentences them all to die. Right. Um, I did feel like Marjorie had more like tricks up her sleeve that didn't get executed. Like she's, she's in a pretty good place when dance, um, ends. And I feel like maybe there's a bit more of a direct Marjorie Cersei clash that happens in the books that result in her being there. Right. I mean, at the point that we're at in the books, trial by combat hasn't been outlawed. That's still in play. Robert Strong is known to be Cersei's upcoming champion. So maybe the trial by combat actually does happen in the books where it didn't happen on the show. Uh, But, you know, if it it happens in the books, you got to imagine it's going to be very, very, very good. But one of the things that's such a strength about the way that the scene played out on the show 
was these intersecting storylines. You have Lancel, who is going in search of this child and trying to find out what's going on in sort of like the dark underbelly of King's Landing. You have Pycelle investigating what he's investigating. Cersei just still in, you know, her tower and looking out over at the Sept. Everybody in the Sept and Marjorie making her pitch to get out of there. But there's really, of all of those characters, there's only one person in the books who's a POV character there, and that's Cersei. Um, Mm -hmm. And so how do you tell this story with quite that same appeal like i think one of the big aspects of the tension is being in the sept or trying to find the source of you know what's going on tracking down the conspiracy and being just in the nick of time while the candle you know fizzles out and ignites the wildfire and it blows up in your face would it, would it be as compelling if it was just a cersei chapter and you kind of at that point you know the scheme you're the one who's engineering the scheme you know i feel like george can write that story with us in her head and still not realize exactly what's happening until it happens. And I think she's a crazy person. Like she is flat out crazy at this point. She is insane. And she, to be in her mind when that happens is a fascinating place to be. Um, Obviously they won't be able to execute it the same way and, and have it be such a blockbuster moment. But I think some of George's best moments aren't those. So I definitely think he can pull it off in a really effective way. Yeah. Uh, obviously I think, uh, I don't know if Loris is going to be consumed with wildfire if, uh, if the wildfire thing happens in the books, but Loris last we heard in the books was on Dragonstone and like very, very badly burned. Uh, I believe that's the last report on, uh, on Loris Tyrell. So this felt a little bit like a nod toward that for me. And I think kind of a sign that Loris is probably actually dead in the books yeah i think he i think he is for sure done so and i don't i don't imagine that he dies in the subject of baylor but at the same time i i don't think he's long for this world i think they were part of it was the show needing to clear the chessboard right and and really hone in on the characters who are going to really matter going forward um and part of it is i think that that they just a lot of people are dying. Like there, there's one Tyrell left and she's much, much too old to bear children. And she's mad. And she's mad. She's mad. She's so mad. All right. So let's talk about the mad queen. So you think that this is where we're going in the books. You think that we are building to this moment of Cersei Lannister being the queen of Westeros. First queen of Westeros. Yeah, I do. Or, or and ruling like ruling queen anyway. A ruling queen. And also, you know, God, she climbed her way up. Like it was hard not to be a little bit satisfied for her when that happened. Uh, because this, this is all she's wanted, right? This is what she's wanted from the beginning. As much as she said, otherwise she thinks she should be ruling this. Um, I don't think that she is, is going to last very long. Honestly, I think, I think once the other Queens show up, that's going to be it. Yeah, well, I mean, we've been trying to take stock of, like, what does Danny have on her side versus what Cersei has on her side? And not only does Danny have dragons and a giant fleet and the Unsullied and the Dothraki, and she also now has an alliance with Dorne. She has an alliance with whatever remains of Highgarden. And Cersei right. has what? You know, what does Cersei have? She's nothing. She had the element of surprise with Wildfire. Uh, she has gold from Casterly Rock that seems like it's dwindled greatly um so i don't know i don't know what cersei has that would really compete with anything that danny brings to the table other than maybe if you want to say 
Euron Greyjoy could get in the mix. And if he's got a dragon horn, uh, as he does in the books or as Victarion does right now, if that's going to come into play in Season 7, some alliance between Euron and Cersei, and that's going to muck things up for Danny a little bit, it's hard to imagine what otherwise really gets in Danny's way right now. I think that Cersei's great tragedy is that is her short-sightedness because she has never accepted that Danny is out there. And even though I think she, she's like, okay, whatever, that's a fact. She's never viewed it as an, a, an actual threat that is going to be coming from her standpoint. She's doing fine. There's no other enemy out there. Maybe these, you know, the Starks way up in the North, but I don't think she even knows that they're there. She certainly doesn't know about white walkers. I don't think she's thinking about those things to her in her mind. She's one. And that's, I think when Danny shows up, and again, they're sort of zipping around. Varys at least can travel very quickly. So fast. Um, so, so fast. I think when she shows up, you're right. So she has nothing. She's no defense. And, and she, she's taken the, the crown in such a terrifying way. She certainly doesn't have the love of the people. If I was any of them, it'll be like with the masters in Marine where they just throw down their, like their, their men just throw down their weapons. And they're like, we don't want to serve these people. Um, so, but I think what will be really sad and I could imagine your being more of a threat to Danny, maybe than than help. Um, but I think Cersei is going to die by Jamie's hand. I think it's not even going to come to those other things. Right. She's going to be betrayed on the inside because I was I was talking to Eugene Simon, who plays Lance Lannister, and he said it really well. He said, Jamie's not insane. He's in love. Cersei is insane, and she's in love with herself and her motivations. And I think that's a really good way of putting it because there's a certain point where Jamie can't stand by her side, and they don't have any kids left. Like, how how long can his love last when she's done the thing that made him a Kingslayer? Right, right. So I'm I'm totally on board with that, and I think a lot of people are too. That things seem to be shaping up for the prophecy to get fully realized, and right now it is very close to all the way there. Like that's the real last major thing to have happen is the whole prophecy of the Valonqar, which is the you know the younger sibling, um, Jamie's younger by a hair. You know he came out holding her hand. He was the second one out. Uh, I think. You know, how do we get there? First off, I think that there's got to be some confrontation between Cersei and Danny, if only to get Cersei and Tyrion in a scene together again before this is all said and done. So I think right. I think that there has to be some version of a confrontation that's going to exist, whether it's, you know, something not unlike the meeting of the Baratheon brothers in season two. Uh, maybe somebody's going to be eating a peach, maybe not. But I, feel like, <laughs> but I feel like some sort of conversation between Cersei and Tyrion, I think that we're going to, I feel like we got to have the Lannister siblings back together again in some way, shape, or form, even if it's for a scene, if it's just for a moment. Um, I just think that that's too juicy to resist. I mean, imagining Tyrion showing back up, them thinking they're never going to see him again. He yeah. shows back up as Danny's hand at the queen with this crazy army. And, and you know, the only people left in King's Landing really are his brother and sister. They've killed everyone else, but they're in this terrible spot. I think that you're right. That would be an amazing scene. But I think that, you know, what is it that Cersei is going to be able to do to buy her any amount of time? You know, what would she be able to do in the face of such overwhelming odds? And yeah, kill herself, we, honestly. Well, sure, but we we just saw her destroy the Sept of Baylor. You know, that's what she just did with an enormous amount of wildfire. And I think, at least for me, until maybe this conversation, I was kind of just figuring like 
that's got to be it for the wildfire, right? Like, what what can she do now? Wildfire people some more? Well, maybe she can. I mean, the the line. Yeah, we from, don't know how much she right, used up. The line from Tyrion to Daenerys in the Battle of the Bastards is like, "You're sounding a lot like your dad, who told Jamie that he has wildfire all throughout the city. She didn't blow up all of King's Landing. She blew up a very important, you know." Uh, location in King's Landing, a neighborhood in King's Landing, a great landmark in King's Landing, but she didn't destroy all of King's Landing. And if we're trying to figure out, like, what is it going to take to get Jamie to kill Cersei, and if we want it to kind of be really poetic, then you really want, you know, the Queen Slayer moment to be probably a little bit of a reflection on the King Slayer moment. And it would be is it going to be Cersei's like about to, you know, actually detonate all of that wildfire in King's Landing and he stops her before it's too late. And that's what it is. Is it just a kind of history repeating itself type of moment? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's, that's what I'm really interested to dive into because you know how nervous I was at the beginning of this season about, I'm like, I don't feel ready to, to dive off the deep end and deal with, you know, the show getting to these points. But now I am now I'm like, I have no idea how you're going to resolve it. We're used to it. Yeah. You know, 10 episodes to get used to it. Exactly. Yeah. It was a nice grace period. But I realized at a certain point after being frustrated with the King's Landing storyline, that was the one I was most interested to see resolved. Because until the wildfire theory, a couple episodes ago really clicked into place for me, I, you know, I had no idea how it could come together. And I'm excited that we're running out of theories to have happen and now just have to wait and see how everything plays out. Yeah, I think there's some sort of inevitability to it all. And it's really just a matter of like, how do you get these outcomes to happen? I think it's going to be a lot of that is what's going to be interesting is like, what gets us to this point that feels fairly inevitable? Like it feels inevitable that Danny and the dragons are going to make it to the north to fight against some white walkers. But how do we get there? How do we get to that point? And similar thing with how does Cersei fall? Is Jamie going to be the one that kills her off? I co-signed that with you. I'm, I'm all in on that with you. Uh, but there could be something else. There could be another way to, to take her out. Or maybe she doesn't die, but she's definitely losing power. She's not staying queen forever. Uh, right. But, but I think it's going to be a pretty interesting reign while it does last. Uh, I think uh, it's yeah. going to be pretty nice. It would be funny if that's another thing that like doesn't last past episode one or two next season, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like Jon Snow. That would be awful. All this setup just for one episode of The Mad Queen. I, you know, but it would be awful for her to get like one week in power, right? After all that, after right. losing so, after losing everything, right? It's, one week. It's okay. where are you with Cersei and her feelings about Tommen? Because I'm seeing a lot of people online talking about this. Of like, did she know that Tommen was not going to make it out of here alive, or does she not care that Tommen is dead? I feel like. I feel like this broke her. I feel like Tommen's death really is the reason. Like, obviously, she was very much a shattered, terrifying, scary person who was willing to incinerate, you know, thousands of people in order to kill, like, five or six people she really wanted to kill. So that's already a very unhinged person. But I think Tommen's death on top of that is the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think that's what really is going to be, you know, leading to her being a very fractured human being when we see her next. Do you think that this is sitting harshly with her at all? How do you think she's looking at the death of her final son? Uh, it's, I don't know if you had a chance to watch the inside of the episode, but Dan and David talked a little bit about that. And, and I think it's really interesting what they said. First of all, they, they made a point to say the idea, uh, like, the one thing that gave Cersei softness was her children 
and she's now lost them. Uh, and the other thing was, it is her fault that he died. If she was with him instead of like touting her revenge on Septa Unella, if she had gone and comforted him, yeah, he probably would have wouldn't have gone out that window. So it's it is on her, and I think she knows it's on her. At the same time, I think she's numb. I she lost everything. She did this coup. She got the throne, and there was this prophecy that's been sitting on her since she was a child and it came true. And I think that a part of her is broken by that. And a part of her knew it was inevitable. Yeah. And I think I, I just feel that shot of her sitting on the iron throne being queen. I just got the sense that she was numb. And even the way that she reacted with Kyber and there weren't tears, there was just a reservation about it. There was just an acceptance. Yeah. Um, and, and I, yeah, I think that's going to continue, but I think she's, she seriously has nothing left to lose. And the idea of Cersei with nothing left to do, to lose is terrifying. Very scary. And we got to imagine that the prophecy is getting fulfilled in the books, uh, at this point. Yes. Marcella and Tommen are still alive at this point in the books, but not for long. And I, yeah, I, yeah, but I don't think that anyone had any doubts about that. I think we all knew it was just a matter of how they were going to get killed, not, you know, if, um, how and when. And I honestly wonder if the reason why they didn't include the Valencar part in the show is because they didn't want to tip the hand that, you know, once these things happened, this other thing was going to happen. I, I think that they still want that to be a surprise. I will say when, not if that one of her brothers kills her and and we're leaning towards Jamie at this point. I'm just very sad for Tommen of the show, but Tommen of the books as well. Cause like now I'm feeling fairly confident as we all are. Like at this point, like, as you said, like there was a lot of confidence that these kids were probably not going to make it out of the books alive, but now I'm feeling really sure about that. And I was reading this epilogue in a dance with dragons today for a piece I was working on. Um, you know, comparing the Maester Kyburn scene to the Vara scene in the books. And there's a great passage about Tommen. Kevin Lannister, it's the, you know, it's the Kevin Lannister epilogue, and he's going around and he's tidying up all of this Lannister business. Everything that Cersei had kind of broken, he's sweeping up with a broom, and he's trying to repair all of these, you know, burned bridges and everything like that. And he goes to have dinner with Cersei and Tommen. And this is a quick little passage from A Dance with Dragons. The king seemed happier than Kevin Lannister had seen him in a long time. From soup to sweet, Tommen burbled about the exploits of his kittens, whilst feeding them morsels of pike off his own royal plate. The bad cat was outside my window last night, he informed Kevin at one point, but Sir Pounce hissed at him, and he ran off across the roofs. The bad cat, Sir Kevin said, amused, he is a sweet boy. Yeah. R.I.P. Sweet Boy. Yeah, R.I.P. Sweet Boy. You were boy, the bad cat. The bad cat. <laughs> yeah, that oh, it, the bad cat. The bad cat. It, it made me that that, that hurts so much. Hard. It does. Yeah, and it's going to be hard in the books too. You know, oh, it's, it's going to be really, really awful. Um, all right, so we've talked a lot about Cersei. Anything further in the Danny storyline you want to talk about? Tyrion Lannister being named Queen of the Hand, or Hand of the Queen, rather. <laughs> Hand is a very different thing. Hand of the Queen. Uh, you know what I do want to talk about? Stuff. Um, do you think he looked at her with a look of love and promise of love? Like, do you think that there is a romance, not even romance, but maybe like a marriage or something like that? brewing between these two i've seen a lot of speculation about that you know i mean I, would i be mad at it no um i didn't necessarily read it that way 
I didn't either. I, I mean, I can I can see. Listen, if you wanna if you wanna take it to Tumblr and you know let it loose, I will I will happily watch you sail that. Ship. We already have Danny and Yara. We don't <laughs> need this. We don't need this. One. I wasn't I wasn't getting it that way, and I, I think that what I really like is you know Tyrion really respecting her as somebody to believe in and somebody who can actually do a lot of good and change some systems and make life better for people like him. Um, I think that that is that is what I saw. I think that he loves her to death in that way. I don't. Yeah. I don't view it as romantic. But look, I'm not going to get mad at like the final outcome of this story being like Tyrion Lannister and Daenerys Targaryen sitting on the Iron Throne and like you know raising a new empire. That sounds awesome. That sounds fun. You just got to earn it, and I don't know if that aspect is earned right now. Right, and it's funny because I always sort of thought that John would end end up in Danny's hands. So for it to be Tyrion is like really moving. Uh, and something that, you know, again, feels very earned for his character. The one thing I liked about this scene between them, though, is is the softening of Daenerys. We haven't had that in a while. We've seen the maybe villain, the conqueror, like the, the scary side of her. And we've also, I think intentionally, been removed from being in inside her mind and understanding her motivations. Well, we like, saw her in one really vulnerable moment this season when she said bye to Jorah Mormont. That's true. We did have that then, but still, I I didn't understand, you know, where that fit into her master plan and what was going on. And I felt like we were welcomed back into the fold in this scene and got to see her really questioning and, and admitting that she was scared and nervous about what was coming next. Like, we haven't had those moments with her in a while. And that started making me come back around to her. I do think that she is going to you know, not necessarily be a hero when she arrives back in King's Landing. And I could definitely see her clashing with, with John and the Starks in the North, unless she's quick to say, oh yeah, there's this bigger issue. I had no idea that was even there. Well, I'm the queen now. Let me, you know, use my dragons to help you. I could see there being more of a conflict there. Uh, but I, you know, I was really excited that we finally, finally six years in are having her set sail to Westeros at the end. It's good. It's great. It's fantastic. And I can't wait. Do you think that we are going to get... <laughs> That's a good poem. Thank you. Do you think that we're going to get uh, the dragon binder? Do you think that that is something? Are we going to get dragon horns? Is Euron Greyjoy getting control of any dragons next season? Or is that completely out the window at this point for you? Yeah, I sort of think it's out the window. It's like an extra wrinkle. And they're clearly trying to keep things simple and a little bit straight at this point. That being said... You know, maybe they bump into them. I thought we were supposed to get Euron in that leaked synopsis that was apparently wrong. I thought we were supposed to get Euron in uh, in this episode. Um, I wonder if his master plan does have something to do with him trying to control dragons. But I, they didn't do the. Did they do the horn before? Now I'm blanking on it with the wildlings. Well, I don't think I, they. I don't think that they've had. I don't think it's been a very uh, horny show. You know, I don't yes. think that it's been. We haven't had a lot of horn action going on on Game of Thrones. Certainly not yes. recently. Other than Hornhill. Hornhill, yes, which, you know, we briefly got to see, uh, and I hope we spend some time on Old Town because I, I love well, we'll that. We'll talk about Good, please. Um, yeah, I, I don't think they're going to do the horn, and I'm not sweating it. it okay. For all that it was, a, a, you know, a part of the books, it, it seemed like it was one of those potentially important red herrings that ultimately wouldn't 
be important down the road. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Danny, she is now aligned with Dorn and Highgarden. At least the the Dorn alliance to me signals that seems to be something that's being built up in the books right now. With Ariane Martel is going Agreed. to you know make an alliance with uh, with Aegon Targaryen, who we believe to be a fake Aegon Targaryen, most likely. Uh, she's gonna you know try and join houses with him. But does that guy just get roasted by Daenerys and then, you know, the Dornish are all like, yeah, let's just hang out with Daenerys Targaryen at this point. Yeah. And uh, I mean, obviously there was a time jump at the end, but that was a bit jarring with like the the High Garden ships being there, the Dornish ships being there, and then Varys wearing the exact same outfit on the ship behind Danny when like a scene before he was in Dorn. He's so clean. He's so clean. That that bothered me a little bit. I was like, I and you know, I missed him the first time I saw it because I was so caught up with watching her and like the great shot of the dragons and all that stuff. And then someone was like, "Yeah, Varys was right behind her," and I was like, "Wait, what? I what? Know. How much I best? You know, it's really not worth pulling the strings of like the timelines, the stories. They move at different paces from each other in you know Game of Thrones. It's just sort of how it is. But it is. It is jarring. It, you can't say that it's not. Or if you can, then I envy you. Because I did see Varys on the deck of the ship in that scene, and I was I was a little bit taken out of it in that moment. Yeah, I was too. And those, you know, a lot of people are like, this is the best season yet. It's those things that that bring it down for me. Ah, and there have been a it, lot of them. It doesn't, it doesn't do it that badly for me, but I get it. If that's the kind of thing that you get hung up on. I, you know, I'm it just sours it a little it. bit to me because I'm like on so many points, it, it does everything so well. Right, and right. then there are these, they just feel like silly mistakes and it like, it pulls me out of it a bit. It, yeah. It just, Why it can't sours just that. Be happy for Varys that he's so fast. You know, I am happy for Varys, and it's funny. We're going to talk a bit about uh, about how Mike made it, my boyfriend made it through this season trying to avoid spoilers, because I think that's a funny way to circle back around to it. How did he but the do? One thing, well, we'll get it. We'll wait no spoilers? until the end. No spoilers? Yeah, no spoilers right. on that. All but right, I you'll give us the say, update. Okay. I will say, you know, I, I was venting or joking a little bit about this scene, spoiler-free to him. I was like, yeah, Varys just like was here and then there and, and all over the place. And he he actually had a defense for it. He was like, you know, it was sort of implied in the books. He was places, he and Illyrio were places that they couldn't be. Uh, so, you know, that actually I give him a pass on. So he had he had a tunnel yes. from Dorn to the deck of well, the ship. There's sort of the implication that they are using magic or something that allows them to travel a lot quicker than than they're supposed to and i was like maybe but still i think we can't get we can't get hung up on fast varus it's just no we it's not a thing we can do not when we haven't even really talked through r equals j so let's let's talk through that this is you know the theory in a song of ice and fire this is the one where you know anybody who has uh, a deep interest in this story or even like a strong interest like a good interest in this story and has friends with internet or an internet connection themselves has probably encountered the theory r plus l equals j that Jon snow was not ned stark's son he was actually the son of rhaegar targaryen and lyanna stark 
Um, this had been one of the biggest theories out there, and the episode confirms that that is the case. And I or at think, least, well, yeah, part, three quarters of the way the case. Well, we'll talk that part through. But I, I think that you know when we do say that, like that was a great moment. There's no doubting that it was great to go back to the Tower of Joy and see that play out, and finally have that confirmed. And it's no longer speculative that Jon Snow is a Targaryen. That is, you know, that's established at this point. Um, but it just, you know, there were so many other things that were so shocking and jarring on the show in this episode that I think it just kind of was like, it felt like an inevitability. And so it was more like, just like kind of, for me, I was just like, kind of like the, the cool, calm head nod of being like, yeah, that's cool. I like that. I'm glad. Yeah. It wasn't shocking. I really liked that scene. I wasn't crazy about the scene before. It felt very strange to get cold hands for like half a minute and then have him be like, okay, peace. I was like, really? Like you guys clearly had a lot of time off screen. And, but it wasn't even that. It was that like he left, Bran, I, I think someone pointed out to me, I think it's the Weirwood where John and Sam swore their vows yeah. uh, to the Night's Watch. But, like, why then was he like, oh, yeah, I'll go back to the Tower of I Joy. No, I, oh, yeah, I thought you were going to say that. Why then does Benjen decide to leave right then and there and not stick around yes. and wait for the Weirwood vision to be over and then drop him off at the wall and say, all right, see you later. Couldn't you come yeah. a little bit closer? But then again, I'm the guy who just said we can't get hung up on those details. So let's not. Yeah, that it, honestly, like the intro to that scene, I wasn't crazy about the scene itself. I really liked. Um, I thought it was a little bit cheap um, that they didn't that they they let us not hear that one part of it. And then Miguel, the director, was like, if you turn the audio up loud enough, you can hear what she says or whatever. Um, but I did like how they played it out. And honestly, I did like that they... The cut from the baby to John's face is so good. And the the music shift is so good. Yeah, and I also did like that they didn't bring you all the way there with R plus L equals J. Like, they confirmed the L part, and you can connect the dots with the R part. The problem that, and we've been alluding to this thing the whole episode, but the problem that I have, and the thing I'm like chuckle and roll my eyes over, is how R plus L equals J was confirmed was with an infographic on making game of thrones.com. Like that's where it says definitively from HBO, whether they meant to put it out there in this way or not, whether something got lost in translation. Oh yeah. And Rhaegar is John's dad and Liana is John's mom. It's bad enough that this huge <laughs> integral part of, of the series is being confirmed on the show instead of in the books, but in an infographic, like, come on. Uh, <laughs> well, come on. Well, the first time I like angry Terry, I think this is good. It's just like, <laughs> come so, yeah, on. So yes, if you go to making, uh, making game of thrones.com, they do have this infographic that shows the Targaryen family tree and connection to Jon Snow and it does have Rhaegar being linked to John as John's father. But I think that, you know, do they need to just, like, spell it out for you on the show for Liana to be like, this child is Rhaegar's son. Like, do you no, need to hear those words? Amazing, but give me an amazing scene like the Liana one with Rhaegar. Like, I, I know you talked to Isaac Hempstead, right? I did as well. And we, he's, like, so game to dive deep on theories because he loves the story, too. And I was like, why was it? Why just this half? He's like, I think because the dad side of it is worth the same amount of, of, you know, time as this did. It's important in so many different ways. And I fully agree with that to find out not John, not only 
isn't Ned's son, but then to find out separately he's half Targaryen is a huge reveal and something that the show should give weight to and not be something that's just like, oh yeah, I'm this. Right. But I think it bothers me. That really deeply bothers me, the execution of that. And I doubt that it's something that Dan and David were like, oh yeah, and then just confirm it on here. Right. I mean, I feel like I feel like there is so much there that you have to assume at this point that John is a Targaryen. You know, there is the fact that there are Targaryen guards posted up outside of the Tower of Joy that are fighting these people to the death to protect whatever totally. is inside. Lyanna Stark gives birth to a baby and tells Ned, you have to protect this baby. If Robert finds out, he'll, you know, whatever, like, you know he will, you know he will. Uh, all of that stuff points to John being a Targaryen child. And it's really not a leap based on everything else that we know about the history between Lyanna and Rhaegar at that point, that Rhaegar is the father. So I don't know that the show in this moment absolutely needs to spell it out for you that Rhaegar is John's father, because I think it's so heavily implied that you should probably get it. And if you don't get it, here's an infographic that helps you get it. I think that the the Targaryen reveal is going to be a big deal. And I think who that's really going to matter for the most is John when he does learn that information. And when that does land on his lap, I think that's going to be an enormous moment. But I think for, for us and finding out the information this way, I don't know that they really needed to paint out the R aspect of the equation in like big, bright fluorescent lights. I mean, yeah, if you want it to be, like, super lame and not exciting. Like, people, you know, but honestly, people have been speculating this for years. George could have gone on his blog and been like, yup. To me, it's just a yup. Like, no, you want that moment to have meaning and be powerful. I think my feeling is that it's it's probably a yup no matter what because it's such a given at this point. I think people, you know... But the wildfire was a given, and that was so well done. And even this... The wildfire is a given only if you're really, really looking. And that's... I feel like that's fairly recent. I think that, you know, there's evidence for it a little bit along the way that Cersei would be willing to do something like that. But this season really built up to that, and it was like, is that where they're going? And then it feels like a time bomb has gone off. R plus L equals J has been a theory for 20 years. You know, we've had 20 years to think about it, and over those years, it's just gotten more and more and more Valyrian clad uh, that, you know, you just kind of count it as fact at a certain point, which is why I think when that news gets delivered on the show in any way or in the books in any capacity, there is not going to be a moment of you jumping up and pumping your fist if you pay attention to the Game of Thrones fan theories. I'd be really curious to talk to somebody who doesn't and then just had that moment play out for them on the show and it's like, what? I'm but sure I'm that there sure were plenty there of those. Plenty. Yeah. But I think that it's going to be just a moment where you're just going to be like, all right, sweet. Now that this is out there, what happens next? And I think that that's what's more important than the reveal itself because the reveal has been revealed for years at this point. But it, but it hasn't been confirmed. And I think everyone, even after this episode, I saw so many theories. Oh, is Ned the dad? Is, you know, is, is Arthur Dane the dad? Like, still, it's not a confirmation until it's a confirmation. And it's just so disappointing. It's been 20 years. It deserves more than an infographic confirmation because people it's have been waiting for that. infographic, though. Fine. Like, <laughs> I, it just, it's something that's bothered me more and more all day because I saw that oh, yesterday. And, you know, the Night King thing was a super cool thing because it wasn't the same as the book. This is the same as the book. And this is something people have pretty much assumed since the first book came out. And that's why it matters how we get it confirmed. And, 
I just like, it's so disappointing. They also could have gone back and been in, you know, a making Game of Thrones thing, broken down why Melisandre was going to bring Jon back, but they didn't. They did it in a really exciting way. And it just, it, it bothers me and it bums me out. And it, more than anything, it makes me really disappointed in George R. R. Martin that, that it's gotten to the point where this is what's happening and how, to me, my favorite, wow. favorite, favorite. Shame, shame, theory. shaming George R. R. Martin. Listen, like, that's what it comes back to. There are a bunch of factors involved. Mad Terry has spoken. There's like, well, if you think I'm insane, um, <laughs> which might be the case, I, it's just one of those things where he, he is the only person who can put this story to paper for the books. Right. And a lot of other stuff has happened and I understand that it got away from him, but he is the only person who can do that. And this to me was the most important unanswered question in the series. And a lot of people might disagree with that. A lot of people might not care as much as I did, but to me, it was just a very defeated, frustrated thing when I'm like, Oh, I found out for sure after, you know, waiting how many years now, I guess I'm up to eight, um, finding out for sure that Rhaegar was John's dad in a blogs infographic. Right, right, right. It's interesting. It's a, definitely an interesting take, a valid take. I don't fully agree with it, but I appreciate your passion. I'd be very, That's fine. We still love each no, other. Oh, absolutely. And I'd be very, very interested to get other people's takes on that and see where you land with, with Terry's take on that. Um, all right. But one of the things that is interesting about this scene, we got this from Jordy Nelson had written in and said, I think not hearing Lyanna Stark say his name is John is huge. I'm not a master lip reader, but to me it looked like she said his name is Aegon. Could we be getting shades of Fagon Targaryen's book plot merged into Jon's show plot? Um, I don't think so in that regard. I don't think that we're getting the fake Aegon plot merged with Jon's plot unless fake Aegon is heading north and fighting White Walkers. I don't expect Jon Snow really to leave the north for the rest of this story. Well, maybe that would be a nice surprise. Um, but... Did you pay attention to uh, what Liana is saying, the part that's not audible when she leans into Ned? When you have closed captions on, nothing is revealed in right. this moment. But she does say, say something that sounds like his name is blank. Right. I heard that his name is blank. And I've heard uh, Aegon. I've heard Eris. I've heard Jaharis. Yes. The Jaharis um, one is the really compelling theory to me. Uh, yeah, for, because you just, could get John from Jaharis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a there's a great post on Reddit. It's kind of becoming like an infamous post on Reddit because it's traveling around a lot by an author named Sparkle Davis Jr. And, <laughs> and she wrote this really amazing essay about uh, why it would be cool for John's true name to be Jaharis Targaryen. There are roots in that name. There are two previous Jaharis Targaryen kings uh, who all, you know, both of them have very strong reputations. Reputations. There are story parallels between those two characters and Jon Snow. The second Jaharis is the one who receives the who first receives the prophecy of the prince that was promised, and it's going to come from your line. And so he marries two people together. He marries Eris to his sister, and Rhaegar is from that line, and now Jon Snow is from that line. So there's a really cool theory that everybody should seek out, just to, just to put your eyes on it. Fun off-season thing to chew on. I like it a lot as a theory. If you just Google Jaharis, that's J-A-E-H-A-E-R-Y-S, 
the Reddit post right now is the top thing that comes up. Or you could just check it out on the Reddit, uh, the Game of Thrones Reddit. It's pretty popular on there. I thought that that was a really cool read. I think that's going to be fun. I think that's going to be like the new, uh, did Jon Snow's eyes change color? I said incredulously as though I was not the person who uh, perpetrated that whole conversation. Uh, <laughs> but, I, but I think that like I think that like trying to like do the lip reading on Lyanna Stark, I think, is going to be an interesting, you know, exercise, probably an exercise that's going to get very old very quickly in this very long off season that we were heading into. Yeah, I agree. And I bet it's there. And I, I like the Jaharis theory. I just don't know that it will ultimately matter. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. You know, um, you know, if John's name is actually something else, maybe in the fake Aegon way, um, I hope that's not the case. I hope they just, you know, excise that from the story. I think at this point they have. I think that that's gone. Yeah, um, but you know, John having a Targaryen name—that's that's a cool idea. But he'll always be Jon Snow. To oh me. yeah, yeah, he'll always be Jon Snow. And I think that even he would be like, that name's kind of lame. I'm gonna, be, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep. <laughs> he would, being he would have Snow. a mopey, he would have a mopey look on his face over that. Jaharis, <laughs> I'm not a Jaharis. Do I look like a Jaharis? <laughs> not really. No, you look like a I'm just thinking. I'm like your Sam impression are, is uh, <laughs> is is a bit stronger than your uh, John Snow <laughs> yeah. impression right well, now. Game of Thrones impressions are just like a default Sam voice. I think at this point, uh, what do we think is happening with Sansa and Littlefinger? Are they scheming? Are they going to toss John off of the throne here in the North? Is he going to get dethroned as King of the North because Sansa is going to be up to some nastiness here? What What's your take on what's brewing here? Um, I do think that Littlefinger has a lot of power over Sansa for all that she is putting, taking that power back herself. And I, I personally read that scene as him putting the seeds of doubt into her head and, and him putting that idea of you should be queen into her head. Um, and, and I think that look that they share is her being like, it, you know, maybe it should have been me. That being said, she did say to John, you are a Stark to me. Right. But I thought it was going to go Queen in the North. Um, everyone going to him instead of her goes back, I think, a little bit to the Cersei of it all and her saying, well, why why a man instead of a woman? Um, and I, I think what will end up happening is Santa will end up being Queen of the North and, and John will get pulled elsewhere and defer to her because I think for all that it was moving for him to get that title it's nothing I think he really wanted um and and I think it intentionally makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable because of how much it evokes Rob being named king in the north and how terribly that turned out didn't turn out well it wasn't good yeah it was bad (laughs) It yeah, was, it, it was not good. It made us upset. It was not good. It was very bad. Yeah, but it was still cool to hear him being called like the White Wolf. That just like right. Just, what a badass. Speaking of which, where was where was Ghost? We don't talk about that. Ghost <laughs> again. Ghost just found out that he, you know, that all of these uh, that all the direwolves are dying. He's just like, I'm going to park it. I am staying behind. I'm not merging for the rest of the season. Maybe next year will be a better year for me. Right. Um, but Sansa and Littlefinger being here and kind of scheming together, maybe kind of, sort of, at least a little bit here 
in Winterfell. You know, in the books, Sansa and Littlefinger are, you know, at the Vale. Sansa is uh, possibly, you know, something is happening with her and Harry the heir. Is he going to be the new heir here in the Vale instead of Sweet Robin if they bump him off? I have thoughts about how this will all come together. But doesn't it, but doesn't it feel like, you know, with the whole charge of the Knights of the Vale, like you could see Sansa getting to Winterfell that way now? That's what I was yeah. going to say. That's my thought about that. I think, you know, she finds out about what's going on and they, they go and help that way. And that's how she arrives at the North. And maybe we're faced with the same conflict between her and John because she shows up and she's like, and Littlefinger's like, oh, you should be queen, blah, 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 blah. And she's stuck with that. Or maybe she's fully in support. Like, I thought that he was going to be more upset with her for not telling him about um, about the Knights of the Vale and, and that army. And he was just like, girl, like, thanks for saving us. Also, like, let's trust each other. No no harm, no foul. I was like, oh, that, that was very... Very good of you, of you. Yeah. but i guess maybe when you get killed and brought back to life you just stop having grudges i think so like you let a lot of that go yeah it's just you know you like lose a lot of that emotional baggage yes that's yes yes that's yes. just something that happens what uh, about you what do you think about that no i love that i think that's great i think that that makes a lot of sense to me um just one last thing on the starks that are kind of north ish uh at this point or super <laughs> north if you are brand uh, I had this on Twitter. Aldrich Tanith had written this in uh, asking about um, why are we not talking about the fact that Bran is the legitimate heir to Winterfell. It seems to me that Sansa could push for Bran to be legitimized as a ruler. What do you think about that? Bran is certainly, you know, he's at the wall basically at this point. Got to imagine that he makes it to Winterfell. Winterfell has a weirwood tree, so he can still do his three-eyed raven mojo there. Um, do you think that Bran is going to get put into any kind of political position to become king in the north here, or are we really just going to yara yara past that, and that's not even going to be a thing on the show? I don't think it is, and I think that he's so much. <laughs> he called <laughs> Isaac called him a tree wizard in my interview, yeah. and I love that idea. Um, I think he's such a tree wizard at this point that he he is not. I don't think he he would let them do that. I don't think he's in it to do that. I think his purpose right now is to be the three-eyed raven, and that is, that's like being a maester instead of being a lord. And, I mean, it's uh, not even like something that would like have to get forced on him. You know, there's certainly right. precedent of people being like, yeah, I don't want that job. I don't want to yeah. be king. I'll go work at the Night's Watch or, you know, like uh, several other things. It's like, oh, I'll go marry Jenny of Old Stones. Like, I will break that pact. So, like, there's precedent for people just saying, like, I don't want to be on the throne. I don't know if right. there's precedent with it with the Starks, with, like, the kings in the north. I haven't done my research on that recently. But I got to imagine that if Bran shows up and they're like, sweet, Bran, you're back. I guess you're going to be king in the north. He's like, yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah. He doesn't yes. seem like that's something that's going to be interesting to him. I think that he's going to want to focus on the problem at hand. I think that John is going to be very excited about that prospect of, like, all right, great. Let's use your superpower and me being this sort of kind of undead warrior badass, and let's take down the Night King together. Yeah, I agree. And and it's interesting because now with Arya back in Westeros, speeding back to Westeros, uh, where does she go next? It seems like it would make sense for her to head north to to Winterfell or she could head south to King's Landing and Great. try and kill Cersei. Yeah, so let's, uh, let's talk through Arya a little bit. Uh, Arya, hot topic of conversation. 
uh, given the fray pies, which was just so good to see. The mechanics of the fray pies is, uh, you know, you got to wonder, like, is Hot Pie on hand? Like, does she has, she, has she found Gendry? Has she recruited Hot Pie? Has she formed her own, like, little, like, wolf pack that she is going to be roaming around the Riverlands, just getting vengeance on people? Is this a thing that's happening with Arya? How else did that fray pie come together? I don't think she learned, uh, I don't think she was taking home mech at the house of it's Black so White. funny i heard i saw other people raising that point one thing of everything that i nitpicked one thing was not how did aria know how to make a pie i i feel you can figure it out it's good looking pie <laughs> it's a good looking pie yeah. uh we well, hope what, that, what was it that walter frey saw when he lifted up the crust was that an eyeball no, it was a finger. Oh, it was a finger. Or like okay. a toe or something. Yeah. yeah, my my screen was actually light enough to see that. Um yeah, very a very clear digit uh in in the food. I I liked that there was no subtlety there, but for all the things that they reappropriated, I was very happy with them doing it in this way. It's a bit more direct justice. Um, another thing that was called out in inside the episode was Dana David being like, oh, we should be worried about Arya killing someone in cold blood and smiling about it. I was like, uh, Sansa did that last episode. Yeah, and also Arya has done that so many times already. So, like, yeah. you know, either we're already worried about her at this point or we're not. I'm a little worried yeah. about her, but I've been worried about her. Like, I've, yes. I've been afraid of this. This is scary. It's also satisfying at the same time. It's this, like, weird intersection of, like, you don't want her to be this monster killer, but you do. One logistics question I saw people raising was how she got the face um, and if that would have any negative consequences on her using it. I think it's that she learned how to do that uh, from from her time in the House of Black and White. I think she learned the process. She saw Jock and do it. And I assumed there was a serving girl. She cut off the girl's face, did the magic, put it on herself, and and went through. Um uh, what did you read into wow, that? Wow, so she killed a serving girl in order to do that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's really dark. <laughs> but, yeah. you know, it's you know that could be Arya Dark. Like, that's where we are at this point with her. Uh, that makes sense to me. I think that also, for her not getting punished for it, I feel like there's, like, some, like, tacit approval from Jack and Hagar at this point. Like, you know, she says, I'm Arya Stark and I'm going home. He kind of just, like, smiles and nods at her. So I don't think, like, the House of Black and White is coming down so hard on her if she is using their practices outside of Bravos. I think that if they're not quite cool with it, I think they're looking the other way. Yeah. And, I, yeah, I think, I think that I don't think we're getting blind Arya again uh, unless, like, the mountain squeezes her head off like he did to the Red Viper, and that would be the worst outcome humanly possible. Right. But where do you That's think Arya is going? Is she going to Winterfell, or does she go to King's Landing to get involved in that story somehow, or you know, does she run into some people here in the Riverlands? There's a few people for her to meet up with right now. We didn't check back in with the Hound at all in this episode. We know that the Hound is with the Brotherhood right now. They were saying, "Let's go march up north." Do you know? D- does the Hound and Arya do they cross paths again? Is Brienne is she rowing as fast as Gendry right now? Which is to say, very not slowly. very fast against the current. Is she still in the Riverlands? Does she reunite with Arya there? How about Melisandre, who got kicked out of the North, who has been you know you know kicked out of Jon's inner circle, and back in season three when she met Arya, she says, "We will meet again." You have to imagine that Arya is meeting at least one, if not more, of these characters in season seven, since they are all here in this region of Westeros together right now. It's true. I think I think Arya heads to King's Landing. I think she has a list and she wants to 
kill people off of it. And Cersei Lannister is a person she wants to kill. And hey, much better to go home and say, I killed the queen, than go home and say, okay, what do we do next? I think she's, she's not ready to take orders. And also, you know, we saw before she wasn't necessarily concerned about regrouping with, with her siblings, uh, after she, after the Red Wedding. I think Melisandre and the Hound and the Brotherhood are gonna come together. Uh, and I imagine that Brienne gets back to the North pretty quickly given how long some of the time spans have seemed to happen unless unless she's run into lady stoneheart and that's the reason she's been held up yeah do you think that that's happening we don't want to talk about no that anymore. no uh we had this from bonnie mcdonald who'd said six seasons have passed and still no lady stoneheart as epic as this episode was i was so sad she didn't appear but now i'm starting to think maybe Arya is going to take the place of that storyline prowling the countryside taking down phrase assuming she meets up with her family it could be a similarly tense reunion to the one i imagine would occur if sansa crossed paths with lady stoneheart in the books how would sansa react to finally seeing her mother again only to find her a crazed zombie murderer then again you have to kind of be a murderer to get around westeros so maybe sansa and john will just be glad to have Arya as another fighter on their side uh so what do you think do you think that we're going to get any sort of stoneheart type of story through Arya, or was this it she just took out the phrase and we are done with the phrase now yeah, I mean, I think we're done with the phrase now. I think that was the, the fray justice. But again, she has some other, she has a couple people left on her list. And, and it's interesting because that was Arya as the serving girl sizing up, uh, Jamie in that scene saying, Hey, should I kill this guy now? And she decides not to because he's not on her list. Uh, so I thought that was really interesting. What do you think? Did she free Edmure Tully, by the way? I don't think so. She's just like, yeah, you can just chill. You're a dork. Yeah. Go back to yeah. Outlander. Yeah, uh, go back to Outlander. John from, Never see your son. John from Durham also wanted to know, we had a lot of feedback on Arya. John from Durham had said, uh, now that Arya is back in Westeros and more specifically in the Riverlands, do you think we get a Nymeria reunion in the books? Arya truly becoming no one seems much more likely than it was in the show, but her constant wolf dreams help keep her a Stark. My theory is that Arya will begin to lose herself in her revenge-fueled bloodlust and that a chance encounter with Nymeria brings her back. What do you guys think? Are we getting Nymeria in these final episodes of Game of Thrones that we're yes. to? Yes, we have to. They're tying up loose ends. That is a loose end. Agree. We have to. Agree. Agree. I think there's only two dire wolves left. I think you got to get Nymeria in there. Yeah. I think that's good. Um, all right. Final storyline on the board that I think that we haven't really talked through much at all is Old Town. What did you think of going to Old Town? Finally took long enough, but it was beautiful. It's so magical. It's so magical. Look at the the high tower. It's so cool with the white I know. Uh, I'm like, I think it's really interesting that they had Sam become a maester now, since this is like the last storyline. And it's a full season past, you know, when that stuff happened in the books. Um, and I don't know what to read into that. I think Sam is going to come. I think Sam's going to learn something really important, either about the White Walkers or about the dragons. Um, I, I don't imagine that he spends too long in Old Town, given how long his story was dragged out. And I feel like he is a character who got so sidelined this season. Maybe it's because, you know, they needed to clear some of these other 
characters cluttering up the story out of the way so he can become a much more meaningful character this season sort of like what happened with um with bran after sitting out season five and coming back and being so integral to season six right well i think another reason why they did that with bran is because once bran starts getting the powers that he now possesses right that really accelerates the story a lot like that's when he can go back in time and he can find out about you know everything that, that happened at the tower of joy or it's also like why Danny can't go to Westeros until basically the final season because otherwise this this thing ends really fast. Which we expected anyway. Right. I mean, at least I did. I expected that to be like final season, final season and a half, which is what we're at. Like it, it's really looking like thirteen episodes, one six episode season, one seven episode season, or vice versa. Um, so it, it makes sense that this happened now. We have two shorter acts to complete it so it seems like whatever he's doing in old town is going to be a big d it's going to be a huge deal i hope so i hope so and it was so pretty there it felt a little like hogwartsy what did you think of the gyroscopes in the library being the same as the gyroscope in the game of thrones opening i think that was a nice easter egg you don't think Uh, there's anything to read into there not really you think it's to you? Funny. What do you no, think? No, I, I haven't really thought about it much other than that's really nice, that's really neat, that's really cool, and I'm wondering about it. I know that there's a lot of theories out there right now that, like, Sam is going to be the guy who's still standing at the end of this thing and gets to sing the song of ice and fire about all of the war and, you know, feuding between houses and the great war against the White Walkers. He's the one who's going to be able to pass that story down to another generation I don't, I don't love it. I don't love that. Like, I don't think that that's the greatest thing. That's not my favorite outcome of this story. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I think that it's, I think it's a cool touch to have the Citadel be so tied to the opening. It does lend it, I think, a little bit more importance. I think that it makes it feel like something that this storyline is something we want to pay attention to. It is being visually connected to one of the most visually stimulating aspects of Game of Thrones, which is its opening credit sequence. It's unforgettable. It's super memorable. So I don't know if that means something like that device is going to be remarkably important. I'm out on that right now, unless someone can really convince me otherwise. But I think it's a visual cue that whatever is going on here in the Citadel with Sam, he's going to find out some information that's going to be clutch in taking out the White Walkers. And I could see him not getting north to that battle until right at the end. And on top of it, it's like, here, I also have a Valyrian sword if someone wants to use this. Yeah. (laughs) Because it's not going to be me. (laughs) I I would love to see, like, Sam fighting in a battle at the end. It'd be cool. It'd be fun. I mean, he's killed killed people before. I know, but he's not a warrior. Not a warrior. I, I love Sam, but he's not a warrior. Not a warrior in the traditional sense. No. Uh, to to end this thing, to finish this final in season six podcast of the Game of Thrones book club, uh, let's turn to a, a comment, a question from the great Jeff Pittman, who had written in sort of this meta question. And I think it's worth chewing on now that we have survived a season of Game of Thrones that has gone wildly off book in many cases. So this is from Jeff Pittman and Terry. You and I already started talking about some of this stuff, but let's close out in this way. Jeff writes, George R. R. Martin has talked about not wanting to read fan theories in order to not let them influence his writing. With the show now having passed his published work and possibly reaching into a dream of of spring territory, do we think or know if he still watches the show? 
Are the show and the books now far enough apart that, say, Yara and Theon taking the Victarion role is essentially completely different stories? Ditto all of Dorne. Or is there still the risk that he'd watch something cool that's similar to what he's written and feel tempted to go back and rewrite wins yet again just to make it more different? What do you think about that, Terry? How do you think Game of Thrones Season 6 impacts the books? Do you think that it impacts the Winds of Winter when it comes out in any way, whether that's George revising chapters that he's already written to make them different from what we saw on TV, uh, if it's making him second-guess anything, if it impacts any further delays on the book, if it impacts our view on the book whenever that comes out. How do you think this season that just passed is going to impact our reading of the books whenever they do come out in the future? Well, I think it definitely will impact our reading of the books, inevitably. I've already seen people tweeting to people at, at you know who I'm friends with at outlets I like tweeting stuff like after watching this season I have no desire to read any of the other books and I was like you're crazy how dare you shame on you and and people saying you know this is way better than the books and stuff like that so yes absolutely we knew going in watching this season was definitely going to impact our our reading the book for the George part of it if if he's a writer that first of all I think he's completely separated himself from it I think he's he's gone radio silence I I don't you know he might have some vague idea of what Dan and David are doing but I'm sure he's asked them don't tell me because I don't want to be influenced by it and he's tried to keep himself really separate if he's really the type of author who will be like oh they did this this way and it didn't land well like I think he's someone for part of the reason he takes so long is he sticks to his convictions and I really don't see him being influenced by the show if he does I think that's incredibly disappointing yeah I think everything we've come to know about George R. R. Martin is he's a careful deliberate slow writer yeah but usually the fruits of that are pretty delicious as he writes about in vivid detail in his depictions of feasts uh, right so I I think that I, I don't know how, you know, like the, the way that scenes are playing out, if he were to catch wind of them or if he is watching dailies or cuts of episodes or whatever. I don't know how much that's impacting the scenes that he is writing in the books. I don't think so. I don't think that that's influencing chapters. I do think that it's, you know, the further along this show gets, uh, you know, the likelier and likelier it is for me. Like, unless something changes soon and Winds of Winter drops sometime in the next few months, the more and more I'm going to start mentally preparing myself for the fact that that book might not come out. Um, I do think that that's... Ever? Yeah, I think that that's an unfortunate possibility. I, I hope not. I mean, I, I typically am pretty optimistic about these things. I'm a pretty optimistic guy just generally. Um, but I, I could see the reality of, like, well, what's the point at this point? Like, you know, I'm so far behind at this point, and, like, the show has come out, and people do know a lot of these things, and why even do it? Or, you know, it just becomes so slow that it's so tough to come out. I hope that that's wrong. It's not what I would bet on. But to say that I couldn't see that being an outcome would be a lie. I could definitely see that being what happens. Fingers are crossed super, super hard that that is not the case and that we get Winds of Winter by the time Season 7 rolls around. But we yeah, said that, that before last year, too. My, eye, my mind. I mean, he did, too, which made me think, oh, maybe he's closer to being done. Clearly not. It's been almost seven months since he released the thing saying, hey, we were hoping I'd get it out by now. Um, that being said, I could see him really being defeated by the fact that the show is going to end, what, in the next two years, and he's definitely not finishing the books before then, and maybe just slowing it down, not releasing it, waiting until the series is out and people have gotten it, and then really cracking down and trying to get it done. But, I mean, come on, at this at this rate, 
we're looking at like in a decade, we'll get the end of his book. Well, whenever it comes out, you know, whenever those books, come can you out, tell how defeated I am by this whole concept? I'm like, it's a bummer concept, but whenever those books come out, if ever those books come out, I think that they are going to be very different beasts from what we got this season and what we are likely to get in the final seasons of Game of Thrones. I think for me, people saying that this is the best season of Game of Thrones ever, you know, hard to quantify. I think season four is probably still, for me, like that's just peak Game of Thrones and the Reigns of Casimir is the peak Game of Thrones episode for me. But I think that for Game of Thrones, just being Game of Thrones and no longer being a straight A Song of Ice and Fire adaptation, if it ever really was, even then it was taking deviations at its best, closest moments. Um, I think that this was pure Game of Thrones this season. I think that this was Game of Thrones as a show being allowed to exist purely as a show. And I think that that provided a different feel and a really exciting ride that I greatly, greatly enjoyed. Uh, Definitely strings you can pull on along the way. I typically just don't get caught up in those weeds, or I try not to. I certainly have my uh, moments of getting lost in that stuff. But it doesn't damage an episode for me too much unless something is massively glaring. I think that there were a lot of highs this season. I think these final two episodes especially were so tremendously fun and um, you know dark at points, but really just unforgettable. I think that this season was a success. You know, we walked into it, a lot of the people who read the books, or at least me, being a little nervous of like, oh, what are we going to get? You know, kind of like excited nervous, but definitely nervous. And I'm happy with what we got. Ultimately, how do you feel about it, Terry? Because I know that when we started talking about Game of Thrones again, when we reopened the book club, either at the start of the season or a little bit before the start of the season, you had been saying like, I'm not feeling super excited about Game of Thrones right now. Like, I remember you very vividly saying that. How do you feel now that this season is over? I mean, I definitely got, clearly, everyone who's listened to this notes, I got I got caught up in the hype of it all. Um, and, and it was fun. It was definitely, I would argue, the most exciting season. They had these big climactic moments, but I think it lost all subtlety. Um in the sake of that, there were, there were some things that, that were done really well. A lot of things I thought were done really poorly and didn't land for me. Um, they, but there's definitely, you could tell the pace shift between seasons. And I yeah, think that's definitely. fun. They aren't, they aren't taking their time with anything anymore for better or worse. Um, often for worse. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, often for worse. It's not my favorite season for me. In fact, I think it has some real deep flaws in elements of it. Um, but I think looking back as a whole, there's never been a season that's been as exciting as this. And I feel like you really could tell in the way, you know, if people got burned out on elements of it in season five, uh, season six took a lot of the, the critical, um, feedback and applied it in meaningful ways, uh, and really took things up a notch. And, and there's something to be said for that. A, every episode ex- with maybe one or two being the exception had something so huge and game changing in it. And that's hard to sustain. And they did it. And again, like I said, at the beginning of this podcast, I'll say it again at the end, this is the first episode, the finale that I could see the end coming together. Right. I, the end was in sight when Danny set sail for Westeros and John became King of the North and Cersei became the mad queen. I'm just going to keep calling her the mad queen. Yeah, that's, no, that's, that's what that's, she is. But you know, like became queen of Westeros. These are like the final, final pieces being set as we're moving into this final act. And even looking around the seven kingdoms, like many of the houses are 
done. Like there are no actual Martells left. It's, it's these bastard kids. There's one Tyrell left and she's the grandmother. There are three Lannisters left and they're the core three. There aren't any more Boltons. There are a lot of Frey's, but not in any way that's powerful. Like they're, they're in a, they're in a pie right now. They're here. Yeah. They're here, my Lord. Yeah. Right, right here. There's, there's one Tully left and he's locked in, in a, a, um, a cell. Like even, you know, the, the errands, there's just Robin Aaron. There are so few power players left that you really feel like, you know, there's, there's not many more people to kill until you're only left with four actual characters left alive, which, hey, would make the final season really straightforward and, and finally give a lot of time to these characters that we've had to juggle so much over the years. Those are really interesting points. And I think it's, it's, uh, you know, it's history in the making and the history that might be in the making is like the end of a lot of history, uh, yeah. is, is where we are right now. So that makes the stakes really exciting. That makes me really excited about season seven and Terry, I think that's going to do it. I think that's going to do it here for wait, our, our. No, there's oh, one wait. thing you said. Oh, yeah, bonus. You almost forgot. Bonus. The bonus. Bonus the track. Bonus, All right. The bonus involves. Let's, let's set this up. Let's set this up. So people who are loyal Game of Thrones book club listeners know that at the start of this season, Terry Schwartz talked about how her boyfriend, Mike, who is a huge fan of A Song of Ice and Fire, was going to be one of the people who completely avoided Game of Thrones this season. Wasn't going to watch it because why bother? I'm not even going to hear anything about it. I'm going to completely dodge spoilers. Nothing is going to come my way. How did Mike do, Terry? How did that go? You know, well, I think I talked about before, it, it took a few episodes, um, but he he did get spoiled by the EW cover that Jon Snow was left alive. Um, so that was a big bummer. That, that really was the big thing. Uh, and the other big thing that got spoiled for him by someone else is the, t- the fact that they did the Tower of Joy, which, you know, he was out with some friends, they were going to see a movie, and the friend... To, but with him and one of my other friends who's been avoiding this season were like, oh, yeah, and then they did the Tower of Joy last episode. They were like, dude, what the hell? You knew. You knew, man. Um, <laughs> so that was a bit of a bummer. I found out about the Tower of Joy thing because I was out of town the weekend before. Um, at, when that happened, we were at a concert together, and we, we, you know, it was our favorite band. We had Ubered there, and we were drinking a bunch. And so, like, towards we had a couple of whiskeys, and he was like, yeah. By the way, so how was the Tower of Joy? And I was like, what? You know? And that was a bit of a problem because... Because <laughs> Terry Schwartz has no year. chill. Because Terry Schwartz has no chill. And and I was like, it was just like we had like torn the bandaid off. And I told, I don't even remember how much I, I went into, but I told him a couple things. And then we got really drunk and came home. And I was like, you want to see the Tower of Joy? And he was like, yeah, I want to see the Tower of Joy. Uh, and then I was like, oh, let me show you this other amazing thing about Brienne and Tormund and how, like, we love them. And so I start showing him the scene. I was like, but to set it up, first, John and Sansa meet up. And he was like, what? <laughs> I showed him the scene. I showed him the scene, and he just was holding our dog, Ricky. This is, like, 2 in the morning on, like, a Tuesday. And he's just watching it sobbing, like openly weeping. He was like, <laughs> like, oh my God, it's amazing. And first reaction afterwards, that's stupid. 
that's dumb. George would do that. That would never happen like that. Um, it was like, that was my favorite thing. And then I think I did something that went too far and he's like, no, stop cutting it off. And so we've walked that line since. Um, yeah, it, that was so funny though. Does he know that our Pusel equals J has been confirmed? Um, I did immediately text. Well, that was, he was like, if they, if they confirm that, I want to know, okay. uh, like stuff that's in the books, he was okay with, with happening. Um, and I immediately texted him in all caps about fray pies because okay. I was like freaking out. Uh, and then he was mad that they didn't do it with Manderley. Yeah. Are, are we mad about that? How mad are we about, uh, the really lame Wyman Manderley? Uh, I'm, I am a little bummed about it, but like not super stressed. But Liana like, Mormont's so great. Just give the good stuff to Liana Mormont. I'm okay with that. And then the other thing I did say, you know, that they, um, they, confirmed liana but not rhaegar and i haven't yet told him about the fact that they confirmed rhaegar in a blog post because yeah. i know that uh that he is just gonna get really mad about it so he said the next time he's like going on a rant about how the show is ruining a lot of things from the books which is how he very strongly feels um he said to bring it up to him then and then he'll be ready but actually i have a little bit of a treat i just talked about it for him Mike is willing to come on and talk a little bit himself yes. briefly about his experience. So we got to we got to shift back to to his version of uh, of no spoilers. But I'm very excited for him to make his book club debut. Mike, long awaited. Here here he is now. The Rogue Cheddar himself of House Rogue Cheddar. Hello, Mike. What's up, Josh? We have Mike on the line here. This is the infamous Mike. No spoilers at this point. We are spoiler free now. Well, unless you want me to tell you all the things that I did wind up getting spoiled on. <laughs> well, that's the version of spoilers we are interested to hear. Yeah, give us the laundry list real quick. Uh, okay, so I got <clears throat> I got spoiled on the fact that they did the Tower of Joy, which was exciting. I got spoiled on the fact that John came back, obviously, because of the EW cover. It was yes. impossible to avoid. That said, I avoided that for like three weeks after it happened. Which I think is pretty impressive. That is very. How did you do that? Did you just block EW? Did you know that like before the season started, like Entertainment Weekly is going to have some stuff? I got to get no. out on Entertainment Weekly. I mean, I didn't have to like cancel my subscription. Uh-huh. I, you know, I, I don't read EW all the time. Um, I took a lot of precautions. I have a Chrome extension that it's still installed. It it um, it detects anything about Game of Thrones on every website I visit, and if it finds anything. It blocks it out with a big red square that says spoilers. Okay. I uh, don't go on Twitter on Monday or Tuesday at all. I close my tweet deck tab. Um, everyone at work knows um, we have to talk about Game of Thrones during meetings sometimes. And so they let me know when it's it's full spoilers in meetings and I leave and go back to my desk. They and just let you leave the meeting. What if it's like the most important initiative that they have going on right now is Game of Thrones. <laughs> You're just completely locked out of the conversation and everyone's fine with that. Yeah. You know, I'm the, I'm the gaming guy. I don't need to. The gaming of Thrones. I mean, I, you know, I do video game stuff, so I don't need to. I don't need to talk. I don't need, they don't need my input on that. Right. So what else did you get spoiled on? The Blackfish coming back, Cold Hands being Benjen, Hodor yeah. dying, John and Sansa going to Bear Island, and 
Rickon maybe being at Winterfell or something. I don't don't tell me. I'm not I'm not a hundred percent sure on that one. So. You don't know details about Hodor dying. I don't know details about Hodor dying but either, you, Terry. But, and you're happier you're happier hearing this stuff. Because I knew you were gonna hear this stuff eventually. Like I know Terry Schwartz well enough to know that she was <laughs> she was gonna spill the beans for you at some point. Everybody knew that this was going to happen. That's Terry's MO. That's Terry's. It was unavoidable. No chill. We've been saying this all podcast. No chill. Uh, but so so you you're, you're fine hearing about this stuff rather than watching it. You're happier to hear about it than to see it unfold on the show. Well, yeah. I mean, what is that? That was, I think, seven plot points right there, and I assume more than seven things happened this season. You're so as That's a massive stuff, though. The Hodor one was a big deal. Yeah, the Hodor th- I mean, I guess. But what I've been saying to people all along when they ask is I would rather get spoiled on, like, five or six or seven things through Twitter or whatever then get spoiled on everything by the by watching the show because I, it's just spoilers for the book, which I, is what I really care about. Right, right. Uh, so, what did you think of the Tower of Joy when you got there? I thought it looked. I thought it was great. I thought it was cool, and I I gotta assume that they went back and did the rest of it because it was only half the scene. Don't tell me. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> no, <I'm> not. <laughs> this is this is what it's been like talking to me for like the last two and a half months. <laughs> it would be it would be very very hard because literally all I have been talking about for the last two and a half months is Game of Thrones. So you and I would not have a lot that we would be able to talk about. We could talk. We could talk about video games. <laughs> we could talk games. That would be truly it. That would be it. I would ask your opinion on how uh, how Zelda looked at E3 and uh, how the Last Guardian looks, but. Uh, Apparently, The Last Guardian is glitchy, is what I'm being told. I don't know. They seem fine. Okay. What can you tell from seems, five minutes? But do, are there other scenes that, based on what you have heard, that you know that there are some things that have happened that you would want to see now? Like, would you want to watch the Hodor scene? No. Why? Because then when I – every every brand chapter or whatever, like every time I read the book, I'd just be waiting. Oh, I guess this is the one where Hodor dies. But aren't you, waiting, aren't you waiting for that now anyway? Or now it's just like you know it happens and you just have no context for how it happens. I just have no context at all for how it happens. So if it does happen in the book, maybe it could still manage to be a surprise. Okay. Because that's what it's all about, right? I just – I'm listening to Storm of Swords right now on audiobook because it's it's my favorite and I've been going through them. And – the number, like the sheer ridiculous number of amazing things that happen in that book, it's like literally every other chapter, something ridiculously cool happens. It's the best book and in the, the series, and it's not close. It's it's incredible. And the first time I read it, every single one of those things was a surprise to me. Yeah, everything: the Red Wedding, Tyrion, Tywin, John getting elected Lord. Like every single thing that happens was, I went in totally blank. And it was the greatest, it was just the best experience. And it made me fall in love with the series. And it sucks knowing that I'm going to go into the next one already knowing what I, you know, what few things I do know from, from being spoiled on various things. I would hate, I would hate going in knowing everything right. from watching the season. Right. But what do you think about this? Because this is what Terry and I were just talking about at the end. Um, are you holding out hope for something that might not happen, or do you think that this book is coming out? Do you think that The Winds of Winter is going to make it, or are we at a point where we have to realistically be braced for the possibility that that book's never going to make it? Why wouldn't it, co- why wouldn't it come out eventually? Well, it's taken this long, first of yeah. all. It's, take, it's taken forever. Is there anything to the idea that 
this season is now out there and the feeling that you're having as a reader of how much would it suck to know everything that happened on the show and now have to experience it secondhand from the guy who originally conceived of this stuff. Now imagine being the writer of that story material. How difficult does that become to push that material out into the world? And is your book just stalled indefinitely at that point? I wonder if he's even watched it. Has he said anything publicly? Has George watched the season? Terry, he hasn't said. Terry, Terry says he hasn't said. Terry was talking about how he seems to be radio silent at this point. Uh, and yeah, that seems heard. about right. He doesn't really talk about Game of Thrones anymore. Well, he put out, he read a chapter at a, he read a Victorian chapter at a convention recently. And before that, he put out another um, Ariane chapter. But other than that, he hasn't said anything, I guess. I haven't heard, like, George says this or does that in, in a while. Yeah. Granted, I unsubscribed from both subreddits as well, which uh-huh. is where I normally get my news. <laughs> um, but, yeah, the, the worst thing that could happen, you know, Relore forbid something happens to George, I think the book could come out anyway, frankly. I mean, he must, yeah, he must be far enough along with it right now at this point that somebody could take over. I mean, that happened to me. I was a huge wheel of time fan growing up. And then, you know, X number of years into writing the last book, Robert Jordan, the author of the, of that series died. Right. And, uh, his, his widow and editor, Harriet got Brandon Sanderson to, to write the final book, which turned into three books because there was too much material, which is why it was taking him so long to write it. Plus he was sick. And it, like, ultimately it it was fine you know like the the series ended and fans got what they wanted and so no i don't i think i don't think anyone would allow the series to not be finished yeah it's just i don't think it would happen when's it gonna happen what's your prediction how soon do we get this or are you done predicting i think winds of winter comes out by the end of this year okay if winds of winter isn't out by the time the next season is airing i'll just i'll just watch it (laughs) i give up (laughs) (laughs) at that point your boycott ends because you just need what am i gonna do yeah two seasons of spoilers no no at that point you really just have to go along for the ride i think i listen i'm really impressed i really thought that you would not be able to go through this entire season without buckling and watching it uh watching a clip here and there finding out the spoilers that you found out that all makes sense to me that that was going to happen but i really thought that you would watch a full episode if not the entire season at one point i'm really impressed that you did not cave in you're a strong principled man here's the thing wiggler i don't want to watch it (laughs) i know that's what you've said I, i have no desire to i didn't like season five i didn't like what they did with doran or jamie or you know a number, a, a million other storylines. I didn't like the direction it was going. I didn't like the changes. I didn't. I thought the writing declined, had started to decline. And from from what I've seen and heard of this season, it seems like it seems like they did a lot of cool things, and then they also pulled a lot of hijinks that would have probably just pissed me off if I had seen them. Oh, you definitely would have been mad. You would have, you would have been mad. You would have been mad at a lot of stuff. But I think you would have found a lot of stuff very cool as well. And I think that that's yeah. kind of the line that we're sort of straddling right now that we're sort of doing the postmortem on the season that I think that this really was, you know, such an exciting season and it was such a roller coaster at so many different points, but there were certainly points that I think that a lot of people were like, "I don't know about that." Um, yep. And knowing and knowing you and your position as a real book loyalist, uh, which is a which is a great perspective to have on this thing. 
um, I think that you would have been upset. <laughs> I think that I think that it would have a lot of this stuff would have uh, would have stuck in your craw. I think I would have come out of every episode angrier than I was. The, and I can't, you know, I can't put myself through that. I can't put Terry through that. We've we've probably fought less than we would if I had actually watched the episode. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm real. I'm really glad you came on here and gave your take. And I would, uh, I would love for people if they are interested to talk to you further about that experience. Or do you not want me to give out your information in case people just spoiler bomb you by accident? I don't know. I'm torn. Well, Terry says that the listeners here are, are pretty chill. They're Everyone, probably, yes, they but, probably have more chill than she does. <laughs> All right. So if you guys <laughs> want to talk to Mike about his perspective about this stuff as a book fan first who did not watch season six, no spoilers for that guy, please. But he is on Twitter please. at Rogue Cheddar. You can find him there. Does really great work on Playboy.com as the gaming editor over there. Uh, really, again, very impressed that you managed to avoid Game of Thrones this season. Did not Thanks. think you could do it. Did not think you could pull it off, but you pulled it off. I still haven't been spoiled on the finale. All right. Well, I shouldn't have said that. That, that just became a challenge, huh? Well, oh, I man. would say rush out of the room before Terry hops on here and spoils a lot of details for you because I think I put <laughs> I put my headphones on while she's recording. Also, I'm going to have Terry just screen all of my tweets for me for like the next week if that's possible. Fair I don't know. I think we'll we, see. We'll we see. could we could figure something out. We will figure it out. Thank you for having me on, Josh. Awesome. Absolutely awesome having you on here, Mike. Talk to you later. All right. Guys, please, please don't tweet spoiler <laughs> that Mike. Please, cool. you'll ruin my life. <laughs> everyone, please don't do that. Everyone be really, really cool. I think that that's a really interesting take to have from somebody who uh, is such a big fan of the books, is still listening to A Song of Ice and Fire on audiobook, clearly loves this story, but just could not watch the show. Uh, and, yeah. I, and I think there were people out there who are definitely a lot like Mike. I wonder if any of them are listening to this podcast, but maybe it's not impossible. Um, maybe. Please let us know if, if, you know, you couldn't watch it, but you could listen to Josh and Terry talk about it. And Mike, what a delightful treat. I'm so excited that, that he got to come on in this. It's funny. I, I <laughs> just tweeted. So if people are looking for a timeline. I just tweeted how excited I am that Mike got to be on the show in this extra long episode of, uh, of Game of Thrones book club, like the extra long Game of Thrones finale. Yes, it was fantastic stuff. Very happy about that. All right, we are wrapping this thing now. Hopefully we will have some more Game of Thrones book clubs for you in the offseason. I think Terry and I are wise enough to not promise anything based on how <laughs> things went between season five and season six. Right. Hopefully we still owe everyone the dog the dog we podcast. We owe everyone the dog podcast. We'll rank all the dogs in Game of Thrones. How about that? Yes. That will be And uh, then include Rick and Schwartz right. and uh and BB Targaryen okay. in those lists. Um but also I think it, it could be really fun to try and do a feedback show. Uh what what think you yeah. I would love that. I mean, we would love to do off-season podcasts. Uh, we were really great about it between four and five. We were not so good about it between... Got new jobs, guys! Five and six. Work got in the way. Life gets in the way. Life finds a way as well, <laughs> as Dr. Malcolm said. So hopefully we can find a way as well to get you some off-season book club stuff. So we're stopping short of promising anything, but if you have suggestions... Well... If you I think let's promise something after Comic Con, even though you won't be at Comic Con. We will try. This year. We will do. We will yes. do what we can. I'm gonna. I'm gonna stop short of promising. You can. <laughs> okay. You can promise. I will not be the podcaster <laughs> who promised on this. How issue. about wait? How about our hashtag is promise me Josh. Promise me Josh. <laughs> well, sure. If you have a good suggestion, you can use that hashtag and tweet it our way at Round Howard at Terry underscore Schwartz. We'd love to hear from you guys about what you would like to hear from us. In the off season, you can also email us your suggestions, GOT at postshowrecaps.com or through our feedback form, postshowrecaps.com 
slash feedback. Those are great ways of getting all that information in. Just say in your subject line, Game of Thrones Book Club. We will see it. We will flag it. We will read it. And hopefully we'll record something really cool at some point in the off season here. Other than that, it's not the end of Game of Thrones coverage here on Post Show Recaps quite yet. The Throners are back. It is the third annual Throner Awards. Terry are coming up in just a couple of days where everybody is voting for all of their favorite Game of Thrones moments and characters and scenes and shenanigans from this past season. That's going to be a very fun show between Rob Sesternino and I coming out in just a couple of days. So hang on for that. But otherwise, yeah, that's it for the proper book club this season. Anything else from you, Terry? The North remembers. The North remembers. The Schwartz remembers. The Schwartz definitely remembers. And the Rougeau will remember if you guys tweet spoilers at him. Yeah, so don't, don't tweet spoilers at him. Be really cool. Hashtag the Schwartz remembers if you want to tweet <laughs> that at Terry. All right, guys, that is going to be it for the book club. Take care, everybody. Goodbye.